Hello and welcome to Medium Cool bonus content. I'm your host, Austin Glidden, and we are partnered with The Film Yap. Go check out thefilmyap.com for all things film. They never shut up about movies. You'll find what you need there. Uh, also, you can hang out with us at Medium Cool Pod everywhere. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all of it. Medium Cool Pod, Facebook.com backslash Medium Cool Pod, Medium Cool Pod on Instagram, and at Medium Cool Pod on Twitter. You can also email us at Medium Cool Pod at gmail.com. Now, um, you can also subscribe to our iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcast. I mean, pretty much wherever you're getting podcasts, we're probably on it. So please, please uh, definitely go follow us or subscribe. That'll only help us out, but it also give you an opportunity to keep up with all of our content. Because even though we release episodes every Tuesday, those are our main content episodes. Um, but we will be having bonus content. Some bonus content will be kind of unusual content like tonight where we're interviewing a band. And we will talk about movies still. But we're interviewing a band uh, and, uh, sometimes it'd be something like a medium cool micro review where we might uh, have a movie that we can't fit into our main content, but we still want to talk about it and we want it to be timely. So, you know, we might put something out like that. So definitely subscribe so you can keep up to it with everything that we're doing. But today is my interview with Bane, the legendary hardcore band that is the focus of the documentary holding these moments. Now out today, everywhere is this easy for me to say this documentary comes out today october 13th everywhere digitally not netflix and hulu but i mean you know itunes amazon etc apple tv it's all there go check this documentary out it's really awesome and next tuesday when we put out our second main content episode uh we'll be releasing my interview with the filmmakers behind holding these moments and uh as well as revealing our six through ten on our top 15 favorite horror movies um, on the main episode today, we released our 11 through 15, which is really fun, and we will continue that list next week. But, um, you know, I just want to say that uh, the, the band that I'm interviewing today, it was a really special experience for me because Bane was a huge inspiration on me, especially, uh, you know, a few years ago when I was in uh, the band Barricades. Uh, and, uh, I don't know, we, we, we sounded something like this. You care about no one! And I remember whenever I first started in Barricades, I had joined the band. They had been a band before I joined. We renamed it to be Barricades. So in terms of Barricades specifically, I was in that band from the beginning. Uh, and, you know, I, I we had all agreed on a certain genre of music that we wanted to play. So I started going through every band I could find that kind of fulfilled that sound. And Bane was a band that I kind of reunited with a few years ago, probably in 2016. And that, unfortunately, was the last year that they were a band. And um, I just remember them kind of blowing my mind and being and inspiring me. And, you know, I grew up with people in the late 90s and early 2000s that were huge fans of Bane. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> they were huge fans of Bane. And I remember, like, I was a huge fan of their band, and they were inspired by Bane, and in that way, they were also indirect influences on me. And I was even a direct fan, uh, you know, back in 15 years ago, in uh, 2005, when they released an album called The Note. Um, I don't know, they're just a really awesome band, and I just hope you guys will go check them out, but the most important thing right now is get to know them a bit better. Watch the documentary, Holding These Moments. You can find it everywhere. Google it. That's what we do. 
But my interview with three of the members today, we'll probably have a part two with a couple of the other members, but my interview with these guys was so fun. Uh, I mean, you know, it starts off with us talking a lot about the band and everything, but man, we get into movies at one point and it is so, it was so fun. I mean, it really felt like we just played a show together and now we're just shooting the shit and having a great time. So I hope you guys listen to it all. I'm going to go ahead and let the guys introduce themselves and then we'll get right into it. So stay tuned, sit back and enjoy my interview with the awesome legendary hardcore band, Bane. I'm Aaron Bedard. I sang in the band Bane. Um, I live in Boston, Massachusetts, and just sort of hang out here in the house during this pandemic, watching movies and playing board games, reading books. Uh, my name is Zach. I played guitar in Bane. Um, I live in, I kind of bounce back and forth from Massachusetts and Rhode Island, living-wise. And uh, when I am not living through this COVID crap i am still usually on tour with bands pretty full-time um so either either driving uh tour bus stuff or guitar teching or half-assed tour managing i'm james saboni i play bass in bane i own a record store that's becoming also a record label next year a little bit this year and when i'm not working i'm just collecting and listening to records really Bane has sort of always been a band that kind of walked between the raindrops and caught the lucky breaks. When we started, we were kind of like, it'd be crazy if this band lasted like five years. And we've formed a bond that will always exist. Bane was always a band to me that just was willing to take risks and do things that other bands either didn't have the courage to do or just maybe didn't even have the creativity to do. The whole crowd would be facing the band, finger pointing, stage diving, singing along, and you could see that there was like a unity, there was cohesion, there was like band and crowd, it was all the same. That's when I knew, you know, this, it's different. Bane has been my life for 21 years. It's the only constant that I've had. Years ago, when we said, oh, we'll be done approximately this time, it seemed forever away. It's in three years. That's a long time. We're here. We wanted to write our own ending, going everywhere in the world that we wanted to go, whatever we wanted to do. At the end of the day, we were a hardcore band who got on stage and tried to give it our all to pay tribute to the spirit of the bands that made us want to be in bands. I wish we wrote a longer story for an ending, because uh, this ending sucks. Where's your record store located? Oh, in Florida. I live in Jacksonville, Florida. Jacksonville, Florida. Okay. Yeah. Okay. For wrestling fans, that would be AEW territory, but I'm a nerd. <laughs> there so, you go. Um, Hell yeah. Any- <laughs> anyways, um, uh, so you, you uh, Zach mentioned COVID. How are you guys faring during this pandemic? I mean, what's going on with you guys? Well, what? I can start if you want me to start. Sure, go ahead, uh, Bedard. I'm doing okay. I'm actually pretty good on my own and the most regular of times. So the transition to sort of having to spend more and more time alone wasn't that, wasn't that difficult. There's certainly things that I miss going to the movies being probably chief amongst them shows. I miss going to the casino to play cards. I miss a lot, but I can entertain myself pretty well. So I'm doing okay. I'm doing all right. 
Yeah, that's awesome. And Zach, what are you doing to keep busy? I am. So I, I have the luckiest job in the world when I'm home because I, for like the last 10 years, I've been working at a counseling center that has just been amazing and allowed me to uh, leave and go on the road whenever whenever that opportunity comes. So um, they kind of understand that the road is my my first job and they're happy to have me when I'm here and I'm home. So um, that's just kind of turned into a full full-time thing now. So I've, I've been fine. The first, uh, I got kicked off of a Silverstein tour because of this COVID stuff. And then for about a month after that, I was just kind of hanging out because I didn't, I, I didn't know what the hell this was all going to be. So yeah. working, working at, uh, kind of a, a job that sees a lot of patients every day. I, I was just kind of nervous going back and getting myself caught up in that if it was going to be crazy. Um, so I, for a month, I just kind of hung out, which is really nice. But then I figured I'd better, I'd better be responsible and get back to work. So yeah, yeah. 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 So, so my, 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 my life is actually just kind of normal besides like Bedard said, being able to go out to movies, you know, I, I, I am like a crazy movie person. So, um, I mean, I, I'm at the movies two or three times a week. So I've actually got, I think I'm probably the only one here that, that's actually gone. I've gone to the movies since this all happened. So, um, I went once. Did you go once? <laughs> yeah. So, I, went. Um, See, I don't know if yeah. you guys have it I, and I'll get to you in a second, James, but I don't know if you guys have it, but we have, uh, we still have drive-ins here. So the drive-ins have actually picked up huge, and uh, we actually talked about it on our episode one about how that's like completely transformed how people go to the movies now, because now they're going back um, to the drive-ins, and it's awesome. Do you guys have drive-ins up there, too? Yeah, they've been popping off up here around Boston for sure. I don't have a car, so it's kind of not really an option for me, but some people have been going. They've been throwing together some pretty good double features, cool throwback movies and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is super yeah, exciting, good- seeing as how this is a technically a movie podcast that we can talk about that. And at the end, I definitely want to really get into some of this movie stuff because this is really exciting. Um, but I want to quickly get to James. Uh, James, why don't you tell us how you've been faring through the uh, whole pandemic, especially with the record store and all of that? I'm sure that's kind of difficult to navigate at times. Yeah, it was it was scary at first because we just opened in November, so not even a year in, and then in March. When everything popped off, we like had to close for a few months, which was just scary as a new business. But I don't know. I just kind of started selling a lot online, just figured out a way to hustle as much as I could to like, kind of cover the bills and stuff. And um, now we're back open, and it's cool. It's like limited capacity, and um, but it's fine. People are like spending a lot more time at home, so they want to buy a lot more records. Mm-hmm. So people are like buying turntables a lot, buying records a lot. And now I'm still just doing a lot online. So it's cool. I mean, it was definitely boring being stuck at home when I was. Like, but, but now we're good. All good. Good. Yeah. Actually, uh, I'm from Muncie, Indiana, which is two hours away from Lafayette, where I live now. And there's this badass record store called Village Green Records. And they, uh, the guy basically lives in his house. And his living room and his dining room connected are his store. And it's on the cool. campus of a university there. So uh, all of his shit's so cheap. You know what I mean? That's awesome. He's just a good Sick. friend of mine. So anybody who lives in Indiana, go check out Village Green. But uh, yeah, he did. Uh, 
his partner got him set up on Patreon. So I'm actually on his Patreon where like every month I get monthly bundles because I collect vinyl oh, as well. Awesome. So um, do you do anything online with your record yeah, stuff? I sell in, yeah, I sell on Discogs a lot, you know, things like that. And through the Instagram, like DMs, you know. Sure. And it's cool. And that's like a nice way to to get a little bit extra income and hopefully next month we're going to launch a website where we sell the merch like the store merch which has been pretty good sure so hopefully get that going yeah awesome yeah. well you know i just uh i want to start uh kind of into holding these moments the documentary about your former band bane and uh, for any listeners that may not know who bane is go check them out an awesome hardcore band i believe 2016 was the last show that was the year of yeah. the last show right so it's been yeah. around four years now, um, but their records are still alive. Go check them out. You guys are on Spotify, I know, and I'm sure you're on Apple Music and all of the things. So go check that out. But also, Holding These Moments, by the time this airs, Holding These Moments will be live. <laughs> you can go check that out on iTunes, Amazon. There are all kinds of places that I will make sure that you know where to find it. And I got to say this. I want to start by saying this. Um, you know, As a hardcore kid of 20-plus years as well, and having played music for so long, watching this documentary, Ricardo sent it to me only a couple days ago. I watched it, and I found myself three different times with just, like, uncontrollable, kind of just, like, a single tear. Like, I mean, this movie made me cry because, not because, um, full transparency, like, I didn't get into you guys until about 2005. I was a latecomer, right? Um, I grew up in an evangelical Christian household. We listened to Christian bands there. So it was like... Comeback Kid and No Innocent Victim counted, uh, <laughs> like Unashamed, like, like all of these other bands. But uh, I dated someone in 2005, and they put the note in. And I was like, what the fuck is this? Like, I was super into it. And, of course, I went back, and all the bands that I looked up to early on uh, locally here in Indiana, bands like In the Face of War, uh, Saints Never Surrender, all these bands that were friends of mine, they would wear the big block letters Bane on their shirts and their hoodies. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. I would see them since 98 or so. I've seen those things. And so indirectly, you guys have really influenced me because they were influences on me and you guys mm. were on them. So this is a this is this documentary is really special to me in kind of a strange way. And, and in a note on my phone, I ended up writing uh, after I finished and I was all emotional about it because I could so relate to not wanting to stop but choosing to stop, which I did in 2018 as well. Um, and I wrote, there's nothing like playing hardcore. A band can be around for 20 years and play even only to a few hundred kids at times, and when they're in that moment, they're fucking Metallica. You're the biggest shit in the moment, and these kids care. You mean something to them, and goddammit, they mean something to you. And Zach, when in the documentary, you even say something similar to that, where you say, we move fans and they move us. And I can just so heavily relate to this, and I feel like I'm going to feel all kinds of emotions talking about these things. But before we really get to kind of the documentary and toward the end of that chapter in your lives, I just wanted to quickly start with Zach and just say, how did you guys even get into hardcore? I mean, how, how did you get into that community? I'll start with Zach. Go ahead. Uh, I, I was a metal kid. I was the kid that wanted to be in Metallica and stuff like that, you know, like, so <laughs> yeah. that, that, that was, that was kind of my goal when I was like 12, 13 years old. Um, I was just playing guitar in my room. I took guitar lessons for about a year. And then my dad kind of noticed that he was wasting 
money on sending me there um, because I didn't want to learn theory and that kind of stuff. I just wanted to learn heavy metal songs. And my guitar teacher was basically telling me, I'm not, you're not paying me to figure out how you can play these heavy metal songs. And so, and so I, my dad was like, do you even like, at that point I lost interest in lessons. I, you know, I wanted to learn cemetery gates or something like that, you know? And, um, and, and once, once he just wanted me to learn scales and jazz, whatever I was, eh, my dad noticed that. And so he said, do you even care about going, you know, going to these lessons anymore? And I was like, eh, not really. And, um, and he was like, well, what am I paying for him for? And I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> like, I think they were like 11, <laughs> they were like, they were like 11 bucks a week or something, but I understand. And, um, so I was like, yeah, that's, it's fine if I don't go. Um, and so from that point on, I just would sit in my room and try to learn Metallica songs, try to learn Sacred Reich songs, just bands that I loved. Um, and that, I guess that cha- that probably crossed over. I, at some, you know, I, at one point, I'm just going to Metallica shows, shows that are like humongous. I don't know any of the bands, like you know, because I'm a kid. But um, I, you know, they're rock stars. And there was a place in Massachusetts that would have kind of these local shows where they'd be crossover shows where metal bands and hardcore bands would play. And um, I went to one. Uh, Zach had some technical difficulties with Skype, so uh, bear with us. I went ahead and edited all this out, uh, but you know he was telling us about his first time seeing Converge, which is pretty cool. I mean, Bane doesn't exist without Converge. They all sort of sprung from that. Yeah. Hey. hey. My, my back? Yes, you're, you're back. back. You're back. You sound beautiful. Right, sorry. sorry about that. I don't even know what the hell I'm doing here. How do I get back so I can see everybody? I... I, you took a snapshot. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here we here we are. Okay, so I see you. I'm fucking sorry, man. <laughs> You're fine, dude. You're totally fine. This is all fun, man. So so you so, saw so converge. Now, now, now I only see you, but whatever. Um, yeah. So I so in Massachusetts, in Worcester specifically, there used to be a couple venues that would do these crossover shows, and um, and I was a metal kid that found out that these metal bands would be playing. So I would go to these shows and, um, and, and converge was playing. And, um, that, yeah, so I got, I guess I have to give them credit for being one of the first hardcore bands I've ever seen, you know? Yeah. Uh, from that's, that show is kind of the show that I realized that kids will are actually dancing in the pit and not just slamming into each other. And I, I just got more interested in, that style of what I thought was still kind of metal, you know, because Converge at that point was still metal or it is metal. And, um, but that, that led me to just more shows that Converge would play, led me to overcast shows. And then eventually, um, this band, Josta 14, which is Jamie from Hatebreed's band, um, they played a show. He had a distro. And I literally walked up to him and I said, I'm kind of new to this. What should I, what should I buy to get, you know, I don't know if I said to get into the scene or whatever. And he pulled out the judge record. Yeah. And, and yeah, man, he pulled, he pulled out the judge record, uh, bringing it down. He handed me that and he just said, I think this would be a good place to start. <laughs> I, I, I don't think, I don't think that he knows that story. Um, 
but yeah, that, that's it, man. And that, and that kind of just exploded that world for me. So judge burn, um, killing time. That was like my, that was everything that I loved for my first, however many years of hardcore. Yeah. And, um, at the same time, still being into converge, still being into overcast and kind of that heavier side of hardcore metalcore, whatever you want to call it. And, um, and still loving metal at the same time. But yeah, that's, so yeah, I guess Jamie Joss is my kind of, the kind of the guy that got, <laughs> got me into it. Like that, like that type of hardcore, you know, because I was just listening to this heavier stuff and I probably would have stayed into that if, if, if somebody, you know, and maybe I would have found, I would have found it at some point, but yeah, that, that's kind of what brought me into it. And then from, from there, I literally just went to every single show that I could go to. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah it's amazing it. cuz we we all have those stories. James, why don't you give us yours if you don't mind? How would you even get into hardcore? Yeah. Mine's not yeah, it is similar. It's not that different. I'm from like a small town, like a beach town in Florida called Flagler Beach that didn't have shows, didn't have local bands. And like so I'm listening to the radio trying to find anything cool, anything interesting. It all sucks. I hate it all. I know it's all not for me. <laughs> <laughs> and um I come from like a kind of church going family too that I, that I always thought was sort of lame. And my dad played in like the church band thing. Mm -hmm. So we would, we would get to church and I would have to sit there by myself and watch this thing. I thought was stupid while he would go off and do his thing. And then at one point I just got brave enough to leave church. Cause how the fuck is he going to know? He's like playing <laughs> drums. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so as soon as like, as soon as the service would start, I would just fucking dip. And, um, and that church was in Daytona beach, which is, you know, kind of a trashy place. And I would just walk the streets for like two hours at Daytona beach and then come back, meet him with the car. And he would say, what do you think of service? And I would say, Oh, it was great. And, <laughs> and one day I just like stumbled into a record store that still exists called Atlantic sounds in Daytona beach. And I would just, they had to have fucking hated me. I had no money. And I would just walk around the store for like two hours every Sunday, just like looking at everything. If I had any money, I could buy one CD because that's all that would fit in my cargo pants without my dad seeing, you know? Gotcha. Like, How, old come... How old are you What's here? Up? How old are you here? Like 13, okay. 12, 13. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, and looking back, it's sort of a sketchy place to be walking around by yourself as like a 12-year-old kid. And... um. Yeah, so I'd buy like one CD at a time that looked interesting. And like a lot of kids, I think I'm looking at thank you lists and looking at t-shirts. And from there I find punk, punk music. And then when I'm 16, I moved to Jacksonville where there are shows. There is like a hardcore community. I start a band, or join a band, and start going, like, kind of like Zach said, go to every show I can. And just figuring out what I liked and didn't like about the different subcultures of punk-related shit. And then, yeah, eventually find straight edge and veganism stuff and then... And hardcore sticks till till this day, you know. I still love hardcore as much as I did then as a sixteen year old kid. Yeah. I mean it, it's it's I don't see how anyone who's been a part of the life can get out of it. You know, because <laughs> it's it's such a tight knit community of people and, and something else you said I think is really funny because uh, I talked to Ricardo and Dan about the movie yesterday and we all had the same experience with the thank yous, like the thanks sections right. of CDs. That's yeah. a through line, I feel like, for every person growing up in our generation. 
uh, of of uh, like hardcore showgoers is you always look. And I was telling them that one of my prized moments was the first time one of my bands got thanked in a CD. And I, you know, like, I just wanted That's to awesome. put it like in, you know, in a frame and, and frame it because that meant something to me. You know what I mean? Um, sure. But yeah, I don't know. Uh, I feel like we all can have similar stories. Bedard, why don't you tell us how you got into it, man? Kind of the traditional story of the kid who came from a sort of fucked up family life and was largely a loner and by the time I was 12, I was heavily rebelling against everything and everyone and really on a path of juvenile delinquency and just sort of just trying to find my place, my way. And then very quickly skateboards and punk rock, they just came in the same day, you know, the same oh, breath. Yeah. I met a kid who had a skateboard and he had a big brother who had like sex pistols and black flag records that we could go into his room and listen to. And I guess I was 14, and um, yeah, like James said, it was the first time that music had ever made sense to me. Previous to that, I had I like would have a few cassettes. I don't even know how I got them. I had like a Police record, a Motley Crue record. Like I couldn't tell you the difference between musical genres. I didn't even really know what a guitar sounded like. It just music was just something that my mom and dad listened to, and I felt like I was supposed to interact with in some way but really didn't know how until i heard those electric guitars and screamed vocals and it was just like a real lights on moment in my life where suddenly whoa music is speaking to me and then it was just pedal to the floor all through my teens just consuming as much of that as i could and finding the community in my hometown of worcester of kids my own age and starting bands and going to as many shows as I could all through the 80s and I was kind of like the perfect age I was 17 in 87 and 18 and 88 when the, all the Revelation Records Youth Crew Youth of Today and Chain of Strength and Gorilla Biscuit stuff was exploding and I was just sort of right there for it and it, it's still sort of like the poison is still in my blood you know I can't I can't think <laughs> Hell yeah. Yeah. Dude, yeah. not to, I don't wanna I don't know if this is too much of a sidetrack and I don't but what what Bedard said about juvenile delinquency is I I'm a, that's like a thing that I'm like obsessed with. I think about not to get too dark, but where Let's life go. would be like where life would be if punk and hardcore never enter it, you know? Like, cause I I feel like I'm on the same path that Bedard is where he's saying like I'm I'm hanging with you know kids getting into bad shit and hardcore kind of like grabs me and picks me up and like sticks me in a, in a community that without that community, I always wonder, I mean, probably daily, I wonder what my life would be like. And I, and I can tell you that it'd be in a negative spot that in a lot of ways. Yeah. I I would be a full blown alcoholic for fucking sure. For sure. Probably (laughs) strung out on heroin, man. Right. I mean, it's yeah. Yeah. like, I, I think if anything, I was telling Dan and Ricardo this with the documentary, I don't think you have to be a hardcore fan to like this documentary because I think there's a through line. You know, I, I think, I don't even remember if it was this conversation or another one, but I think I brought up wrestling earlier. I can't remember. Oh, I said AEW. That's right. 
but like with with like even like wrestlers they can't hang up their boots like they might retire but it's like are you really you know i mean you know and it could be anything actors or you know there are directors making movies that say ah, i'm not going to make any more movies 2 years later boom new movie it's when you put your passion into something you know it matters and it's so hard to unstick or divorce yourself from that thing enough to not want to do it and furthermore like on the point that james was just making about the about like where would you be I think another thing I would like people that don't know anything about hardcore to understand is, you know, when I was growing up, my mom called it devil music. You know, when people scream, they sound like demons in the movies when, you know, <laughs> right, yeah. you know, like just this like weird, these weird noises and weird voices. And, and, um, you know, I was just, she would let me listen to the quote unquote Christian stuff. Um, but she hated it. And the thing is like, I wish people would be able to see past their, kind of preconceived ideas of what hardcore is that it's not just a bunch of delinquents or a bunch of uh just kids that want to fight in a hole in a group of people but you know that it means something to us and mm. it, it, it like james said it carries us it cherry picks us out and can help us on a better path which you both have just proven and uh mm. you know i think you know i don't know if i would have uh turned to delinquency you know in in my life but i wouldn't be where i am I wouldn't be doing right. this with you. I probably would have, you know, if I hadn't been playing shows and met Greg Binnick and became friends with him on fo social media and then saw the trailers for holding these moments, I'd have never known to contact you. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm -hmm. the trajectory of my life was in to some extent molded by hardcore and metal as well. And so, like, yeah, that's just, that's just like a truth to me, man. That's a truth for sure. And I'm glad it was here to help us all. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, but, I, you know, I, I'll, I'll kind of moving forward in the same vein, I guess, you know, I don't want to retell the whole story of Bane because I'd rather people watch it unfold in the documentary and see, you know, the kind of visual history. Um, but, you know, we know you guys love hardcore. The community has helped you so much. Um, but, you know, what does hardcore mean to you at this point now when I say four years removed, I mean, from, at least with Bane, you know, some of you might still be playing or still might be a part of it in some way. But I mean, you know, like you were in that community for 20 plus years. How do you feel about hardcore now? It's changed so much in 20 years as well, you know? Uh, well, we can start with James. Go ahead. Man, I'm, you know, I'm obviously miss touring a lot and i miss playing shows a lot and i miss hanging out with these guys in this chat a lot but to me hardcore other than that is the same i'm still like listening to band demos i'm still buying records i'm pre-covid obviously i'm still going to a lot of shows not you know 200 a year or whatever we were playing but i'm still if there's a cool hardcore show i'm definitely there so for me in the last four years hardcore hasn't changed that much other than I wish I was a little more active in it in a physical sense, but that's really it for me. Yeah. What about you, Bedard? How, like what does hardcore mean to you at this point in your life? Um, I mean, it's a similar answer in that there are aspects of it that do feel that have been ripped away from me as far as being really super plugged into the scene in a way where it was our, our lives, you know, we're up, up big chunk of every year was being really submerged in the road and in rooms where hardcore music is played and just, you know, giving 
a huge chunk of myself to that community. But other than that, as, as it is it's just of a culture or a style of music or a way of thinking, that stays the same for me. <clears throat> and it just keeps you confronting, I think, more interesting questions that you normally think about when you're young, when you're a teenager in your early 20s. And when you stay plugged into hardcore, that just carries over through year after year. And so I still feel very much young. I still feel vital. I still am confronted with exciting ideals and exciting ways of thinking. And I'm constantly, you know, reading lyrics and trying to get into the heads of the people that wrote them. Just keeps you sort of plugged in instead of getting lazy and tired and old where this sort of extreme form of people creating things and you know, screaming things at the top of their lungs is something that you leave behind. I'm, I'm not able to leave it behind. So hardcore is still very much hardcore to me. You know, the minuscule details change as far as social media or YouTube, the way people can sort of find out about bands more easily and learn about the history more easily. But really at its center, at its core, it's very much the same. You know, it's a rebellious explosive music that is primarily made of young people and then if you give yourself to it you sort of stay young it sort of radiates this yeah. kind of energy to you that you just take year after year after year if you let it you know it's totally up to you how much you're willing to let that in to let that transcend the other shit that's going on around you as you start families and have a mortgage and have kids i get it but i just think it's very much still the fountain of youth for me yeah sure but like, yeah. and I don't mean to say what James said. I don't mean to make this a bummer, but I mean like, at this point, four years removed, Bedard, do you regret that you guys had to break up and stop? Yeah, yeah. I guess the short answer would be yes. Yeah, because you know, I, I, I uh, Ricardo and I had touched base only about three days ago or so, um, and or whenever he had reached out to you guys as well. And so I, you know, I didn't get a ton, a chance to really kind of dig in to uh, a lot of the research I would normally do. We had a short amount of time to get a lot of stuff in, sure, and sure. Uh, but one thing I did do is I tried to watch and read as many interviews as I could with some of you guys. And one thing I noticed with you, uh, it, one of them was uh, with uh, Dahlbeck and, and Bedard, and you were talking about how like you go to a show and you feel like the old group. Right. Like like you get out of the van and people don't want to approach you because you guys are the old guys or like, you know, and wanting to, you know, wanting to bow out. And mind you, this interview was from back, you know, when you guys were still playing, but you were on the last sure. leg. Right. And yeah. uh, how you you didn't want to be the guy that kind of, you know, for lack of a better phrase, didn't want to stay in the ring long after your prime. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I kept thinking of it as overstaying our welcome was the way that I was thinking about it back then. I was like, man, when is the exit point? No one's going to tell us. And then we're going to be the very old, awkward dude, sort of that, <laughs> that everyone's afraid to tell guys it's time to move on. And I, I couldn't trust myself to be able to identify that moment. You know? Yeah. I was nervous about it, but now that stuff just feels so ridiculous to me when compared to what you were saying earlier, you were very profound in what you were saying and how hard it is to let go of that when you're living a heightened life while you're in a band playing to hundreds of kids and you get to travel the world and you get to just create music. You know, you get to pour your soul out with your friends when that's taken away from you. That's the moment when you realize how good you had it, how fucking fucked up life is going to feel 
after it's gone. I didn't realize that even in the last two years when I was trying to pinch myself, oh, you got to enjoy this, you got to, you know, suck the life out of this because this is it, this is coming to an end. I did not realize how much, how big of a void it was going to leave inside of me, having it just removed and not being able to be with these boys anymore. You know, yeah. The I, greatest thing, the greatest thing I'd ever done with my life, hands down. There's not nothing even compares to how much I love being in that band with those boys. So, yeah, you just don't know what you have until it's gone. That's a very true statement when it comes to my opinion on four years later. Absolutely. I mean, you know, uh, like I, I was watching a video with you and Zach doing an interview. Uh, I can't remember the source, but it was clearly before a show uh, on your last tour. And, uh, you know, I, I, it was painful for me to watch, to be honest. I'm just being honest with you guys, because I could tell you guys were still planting at five shows left. And uh, you guys were trying so hard to be like, yeah, like, you know, we don't know how we feel about this. And Zach, you were like, I'm still in denial. I don't know, you know, how to kind of accept this or, or how, to, how to deal with this. And, yeah. uh, but watching your body language and watching your face was like, I, I feel you. Like in that moment, I felt some strange connection. Let me, let me clarify something. I rarely left Indiana playing music, okay? I never toured. I always had another uh, job or a family or something that kept me grounded here. But I played as more than a hobby, I would say. I mean, I took it very seriously, and we did as much as we could in the surrounding region. But I'm nowhere on your guys' level. I mean, you guys played. I was never in the band for 20 years. I was never you know, uh, like touring the world, making friends all across the country. Um, but on a lesser level, I feel that call, like that calling, I hate to use that term, but I don't know what else that, that tug to be a part of it. I still do to this day. I mean, I like watching the documentary. That was another thing that really got me was just like watching it come to an end. You know, my last show was December 10th, 2018, two weeks after my mother had died. And we played this show in front of 15 people in a basement at a university in Muncie, Indiana, where the mic was taped to the mic stand. <laughs> I had to try to carry it sure. around and, and get wild for 15 people. Cause our goal was we're going to throw a show for 15, the same as we would with like 600. We don't care. Right. We had, we uh, had the same motto. I absolutely. Love it. And, and, and to that point in the documentary, I remember one point where Bedard on stage, you said, Hey, can we stop kicking and hitting each other and just have a good time? And that reminded me, of uh us too because we were that way we just wanted to like love everybody we wanted to be a positive influence in the community and that was that was my story and thinking of that being gone and knowing that my last show was in front of 15 people we didn't even play that well in a basement that when I jumped my head hit the ceiling (laughs) like I remember these like really silly things and it's like oh but if I could have one more banger if I could just do one more show that would give me the the thing that would send me off after 20 plus years of being in and out of this, of this thing, you know what I mean? And so I, I just, I, I feel it so much. And, um, to, to move over to Zach real quick, you know, you, um, you mentioned that you're still kind of in it just in a different capacity or like a different place. Like what is like hardcore and just heavy music mean to you at this point now with you kind of still being a part of it, but not in the same way. Yeah. I guess, you know, the exciting thing for me in the hard, I mean, I think one of the reasons why I miss it so much is because 
I just, I loved going to shows, you know? So when you're a kid and you love going to shows, like, like you, you, you love that feeling of being there. You're, it's exciting every day. And I feel like everybody in Bain felt that yeah. every night. We weren't going to play a fucking concert and we weren't going to sit in the backstage room. You know what I'm saying? We were going there to hang out with our friends or watch the bands that were playing night after night, I would be in the audience watching those bands, you know? Um, and so I am a lucky one now, as far as being able to still keep my life on the road. And even if I'm driving a band, uh, you know, I, I, I work my schedule my sleep schedule because we're driving overnight so i'm work, trying to work my sleep schedule so that i'm sleeping during the day and then i'm awake for that show you know mm. and because i love being at the shows still and i mean I, you know so i guess i'm still i'm happy that i i can still do that so for, for me i think i miss it a little bit less than some of these other guys in the band that just aren't on the road all the time, you know? Um, and, and yeah, I don't know. I, I, I love it all still. Yeah. <laughs> but but I, I, I don't really, I don't really feel much different than I did back when I was a 15 year old. I'm still excited about it. If I, I, you know, like James said, I don't go to as many shows as I used to. And sometimes I kick myself for that, you know, to get, to get out more. But anytime I'm there, I I still fucking love it so much, you know. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I think that's something worth mentioning about the band and the, that last those last few tours and stuff is that you know we all always got along. The band breaking up had nothing to do with that. You know, we all loved each other and still love each other. But also, yeah, we never got bitter towards the scene at all. A lot of bands when they get to a certain age start thinking you know, it wasn't as good as it once was, or like the genre is past its prime and all that shit is just like so ridiculous. And I can't roll my eyes harder when I hear dudes say that, that if there was a band that we were on tour with, that was brand new band, young 20 year old kids. And they were sick. We loved them. We wore the t-shirts. We wanted to take them out. We watched local bands. We loved the culture and we don't think that it's past its prime. See, and that, that, that heart just real quick, that heart, is like what I love about there's like a handful of bands I've encountered that had the same thing and and uh, the band I was in Barricades was the same way man we were like like if we find a new band I'm buying the shirt I don't even care if I think the shirt looks stupid I'm buying mm. it so I can rep these guys uh you know oh, yeah. I get that they don't have a lot of money they get a one color just their logo I'm sporting that shit and I'm going to wear it on stage at the biggest show we have because I want these 20 somethings or these you know 18 year old kids who can't even get into a bar you know, I want them to have that exposure if they're sick. You know what I mean? Like, if they're awesome, sure. I, I want that. You know, that's like, I'm just speaking personally, like, that is like such a big deal to me um, that you guys feel that way as well, especially, um, you know, because I remember being, uh, you know, one of those younger kids, and I made a connection, say, with, uh, with a band and, you know, in the mid 2000s, I was playing with a lot of like bigger bands and in, in the band I was in. And what, what would happen is they'd buy our shirt and then I would see like a promo picture and one of them would be wearing our shirt, you know, 
And oh. even though, you know, we were like just like an Indiana regional band, but it was like that hyped me so hard, dude. Like I would just get psyched out of my mind that this band oh, cared yeah. enough about us. So at the very least, just like inspiring and making people enthusiastic and just like hyped and love what they do more is I think a really special <sighs> thing. And I think I interrupted you, Bedar. What were you going to say? No, I'm just listening. I think you're yeah. absolutely right. It's real impressive. Yeah, I, I, I think I think what I was gonna say oh. was uh, was on James' point about um, you know us never getting bitter towards the scene. Uh, uh, for me, anyway, at the end, I thought you know the bands that we were playing with and the bands that were coming out, I felt like were kicking so much ass that I almost couldn't even keep up with it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like every record. I have to, you know, like we're trying to write shit that's still, you know, we're going to write what we want to write, but we had to like, we had, yeah, man. I mean, hardcore bands these days, and I mean, they've always been raging, but I mean, some of those, a lot of the bands we go out with, I'd be like, fuck, how do we ever, how do we keep up with this? (laughs) And so for me, for me, I, it was just really, you know, I, I felt like, God, we maybe we have to get out before we're, you know, we just can't keep up anymore. Yeah. And, um, yeah, that, that's super, that, that's super funny because, uh, when we would play a lot of the, the younger generation of people playing, you know, we were all in our, uh, like mid thirties, which, you know, isn't like old, but in comparison to the 18 to 21 year olds that were starting the scene, you know, we were the grandpas, they would call us grandpa hardcore or something like that, you know? And like, uh, but like the one thing, man, is like, our goal is like, we want to be comeback kid from 2003, you know, (laughs) like, you know, like we wanted to be figure four, like, like these bands. So all of our music was like in a new package, but like, that was our inspiration. But like you're saying, dude, all these bands that come out today, like, blow my mind in terms of, like, <laughs> just, like, ripping, dude. <laughs> like, like some of them I mean, can just rip so hard. They just, they just, they want it as bad as we did when we were young, you know? And, um, and not that we ever lost that, but it's just, it's an exciting thing to, they're gonna, they're gonna blow your face off no matter what. And, um... And we always wanted to be that. And I, you know, I don't think we really lost that in the end, but it was just getting, you know, you don't know how many times we've heard, oh, like, like Bane, Bane is the grandfather, like the, like you said, the grandfather's a hardcore. And I'd be like, oh, fuck, you know, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, 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 but we weren't like, we, we, I couldn't be, I couldn't be like, yeah, you're not right. Like we've been around for 20 years and a lot of bands, like what Dar's saying, in, in 88, he came up with Youth of Today and all those bands. I got into hardcore in like 91, 92, and all those bands were already gone, you know? Mm-hmm. Those bands did not exist for longer than two or three years. So I get for us, you know, we were around for 20 years, and we seem like the grandfathers of hardcore. And um, and I never took it personal, but it, it just, uh, you know, I, I never wanted to... I never wanted to just be up there playing and have it seem like we couldn't keep up, you know? Right. Sure. That, that we were never going to embrace that, the idea that, like, oh, we're the old timers. Like, we still just felt so hungry and we couldn't. I, I was never able to really come to grips with the true fact of, like, 20 years. And, you know, it went by so fast. And when you're in it, it's just, yeah, it's hard to have real perspective that, like, 
Yeah, it makes sense. We've been doing this for 20 years. Kids that got into us at 18 have kids now. They have, like, fucking careers now. Like, we have been around for a very long time, and we kind of have to take yeah. that moniker. There's nothing we can't hide from them. See, but what's interesting, and I'm curious, I wasn't planning on asking this, but I'm curious, you know, if this has changed in in the time, at least the four years, or or, you know, giving yourself some time being out of it, but... For me personally, I always took it as like a badge of honor. I was just like, oh shit, like we're inspiring or we're leading in some way these people or we mean something different to these yeah. people because not only can we still rip, right? But like, you know, like we are still doing what you're doing and we are older and we love this. Is that something that ever passed or are you guys still just like, fuck that, I'm young? <laughs> I mean, I can only speak for... Go ahead, Zachy, go ahead. No, go ahead. I... Go ahead, Bedard. It's just, it, I mean, it, it's just about me personally being someone who's not good at growing up, who's not good at facing that sort of very, very bitter pill. It's just like, it goes, I think, it goes way back to my youth and that I was never able to see it as a positive thing. I always wanted to look at Bane as like the young, explosive band that was giving everyone around them a run for their money, you know? And we yeah. got to really enjoy that for a good stretch of time. We got to be the band that was like, nobody really wanted to fucking play after us. And that gets kind of addicting. You don't want to let that, that banner go. You know Absolutely. what I'm saying? Absolutely, yes. And we had to, like, I mean, you know, time did what time does. It spares no fucking man. But it was always hard for me to make that transition into, oh, I should feel proud of this. Like, I should rethink this look you know frame it differently and sort of be proud of the fact that we're the long-standing band and maybe we're not as quick as we were even 10 years ago but there's something to be said for you know still being here still loving hardcore never having like sold out our beliefs and i i just couldn't do it but that's on me that wasn't like a bane thing that's sure just, sure still to this day i fucking lie about my age like i can't <laughs> get with it it's straight up it's ridiculous I just can't get with it and ever feel sort of <clears throat> okay with the fact that I'm not a young kid anymore. Yeah. Very difficult. Well, I mean, you know, I think 20 years is something to be uh, proud of, totally respecting and understanding what you're saying, 100%. I get it. I, I, um, I appreciate Yeah, and, and I'll say, you know, uh, you know, I think of bands like you guys or Terror, who was around. I mean, are they still playing? Like, <laughs> like you know, they're ripping, yeah. and it's like, oh, yeah. I mean, these are institutions to me. You know what I mean? Like you guys, you guys have a place in that in that uh, I don't know in that thing I'm talking about. Uh, words are escaping mm -hmm. me, but you know I, I do want to ask you this though. Uh, kind of moving forward, uh, you know, what is it like having a film made about your band? You know, what was it like watching that? Because I talked to Dan and he said it started off as just being a film about your last uh, your last tour, but then it turned into something bigger and. You had, you know, crowdfunding kind of helping move it along and people were coming to support and they were also telling me how just super supportive that community was to help make this kind of visual history come to life to document you guys. You know, um, you know, I'll, I'll go ahead and start with uh, James, but, you know, what was it like having this film made about y your band and what was it like watching it back? Well, you know, one thing those dudes were great at was not, feeling like they were not ever getting in our way you know they were making this movie and it i barely noticed them i mean i liked hanging out with the guys that were on that crew so maybe we'd go get dinner or something or see them at the show but and while it was happening while filming was going on 
it was it was the furthest thing from my mind. Like occasionally they would ask us, it pull us aside and ask ask a few questions, like an interview, but maybe only ten minutes after a gig or something. And it it was it was always pleasant. It never felt annoying. It never felt intrusive or anything. So at the time, I wasn't thinking much about it. And then, you know, I'm not thinking much about it in the years that pass while they're editing it and kind of creating a film out of, out of that footage. And now, of course, it's like incredibly flattering and it's it's nice. And, you know, I when I start telling my friends or like colleagues and stuff, it's like, what? A documentary about the hardcore band? And it's like, yeah, it's really cool and surprising and, and flattering. And, you know, I... I haven't watched the final cut yet. I'm waiting for the release, but I watched the a rough cut maybe close to a year ago now, whatever he had, and it was, it was great. I think they did a great job, and I'm excited for it. I think it's it's fun. It's humbling, and it's exciting. Yeah. Zach, what about you? I mean, I'm assuming that you've seen it. You know, What was it like having it filmed about your band, and, and if you've seen it, what's... <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's... Uh, it, What's funny is that I don't I don't think any of us here have seen the final cut. Bedard, have you? No. Yeah. Yeah. Like um, I, we we watched a, we all watched a rough cut. Gave our um, kind of our two cents on what we thought could change or be added or taken out. And and I think we're just at least I'm gonna watch it on the day that it comes out. Um, when when it was first being done, it it was it was brought to us as like you said, let's let's do a a, a documentary about the last tour, and I think we were just kind of like, yeah, if 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 you want to do it, go ahead. Like we were friends with Dan already. Um, it seemed like a pain in the ass to me to like have to fo- <laughs> to have to follow a band around and try to. We're, we're not we're not good at at being in front of the camera and doing interviews and, you know, like, or, you know, but Bedard will do, he does most of the interviews, but it's kind of foreign to me. We don't do these podcasts very often. So, uh, having a camera in our face doing actual interviews seems like it was maybe going to be a pain, but like James said, it wasn't. Um, I really kind of forgot they were there, which I think is, is good. And, then once it was done or once the band was done, we thought it was going to be, you know, come out a little bit quicker than it had. And so due to the fact that it didn't, I just kind of forgot about it. You know, um, I would be in touch with them every now and then, see how, if they needed anything, see how it was going. They would send us little kind of uh, trailers for it. And I'd be like, holy shit, this is real deal stuff. Yeah, but yeah. but until I saw the rough cut, I thought maybe we were still getting, or at least what I was worried about is that we were going to get a cheesy documentary about a bunch of a bunch of stage diving and moshing. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And and I was the last one, I believe, to w- even watch the rough cut because I was I was so nervous about it. And I didn't even think about watching it until James wrote an email saying, yo, did you, did you guys watch this? Like, this thing is fucking good. Like this documentary is actually pretty well done. And, and you have to understand that I know that Dan and Ricky, like this is kind of a new world for them too. You know, like they, they are, they work within that industry, but they're not doc. They don't do docs. It's not like, 
you know, it's not like I've seen something before where I'm like, oh, I'm very confident in these guys. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. I just have to put my I just have to put my faith in that they know what they're doing and that they're my friends and they would want to represent my band in the right light. But when James sent me that email saying, yo, this is good. And then I kept started getting more emails from all of the band members like, holy shit, like this is this is good. And then I finally watched it with uh, my friend Justin Nadeau, who does he does a a, a thing called outofstep.net. And um, I was like, yo, do you want he's a big Bane fan and 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 he's been there for a lot of the years with us um almost since the beginning really and i said yo do you want to watch this with me man i'll i'll come down there and we can watch this together and he was like yeah let's do it he hadn't seen it he had no access to it so i was like let's do this and so i went down there and we watched it and i i felt so grateful that these guys did take the time to do this because i i'm so happy that we have this story about our band that that I, I feel like really represents us well. And for me, selfishly, I have all this footage of my band's last yeah. tour and my almost my whole band's career. It's crazy. It, they really, it, they needed four years to get everything that they got in this doc because there's so much info. It's, it's nuts. And I think that he, like you had said, they did it in a personal way where you don't have to be a hardcore kid to watch this doc you can just be anybody and see a documentary about a a band that had a hard time breaking up in the end yeah you know yeah and And, i mean and it shows i mean it shows something beyond the you know stage diving the mosh pits and the screaming you know like there's the scene there's the scene where um i forget who it was and i apologize for that but there was a little girl and you let her you let her stage or like um crowd surf and who yeah, was that? Skyler. That was, yeah, Team Skyler. Skyler. I, I thought that's what it was, but yeah. I was I was worried because Team Skyler is a thing out of Indy, which is close to me. And exactly. um, yeah, like dude, I just started crying. <laughs> like that's yeah, that's man. like an emotional sure. thing beyond uh, just you know the screams and the stage dives. You know what I mean? I mean that, that that scene that scene right there kind of puts it all like like that that right there explains how luck, lucky. I was to be in this band. You know what I'm saying? Like to be in a hardcore or to be in a scene where like we could be involved in. So Skylar is a girl that has, she's got cancer. And just to be in in a scene where at one of our shows, we could randomly just kind of grant this girl's wish to be able to do her first stage dive and have the whole audience be so into it and so excited. And and then to have it all on film and like I don't know it, it it's it's all very special to me. Absolutely. Just, yeah. just the the fact the fact that anybody that was interviewed for it or anyone that took the, the time of day to even care about being in it at all like is is very I'm just very grateful for it all and mm. and and it was weird because I went through this kind of you know it, it, do, doing a doc and doing all these interviews and getting all this stuff together is like kind of a pain in the ass. And we were very hard to deal with as far as them having a wish list of what they wanted and us not getting back to them and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and um, I don't know. And I, 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 I kind of wish that we weren't that hard <laughs> like to deal with, you know, <laughs> and I don't not, not because I think not because I think that they, it would have came out better if we got them all the stuff they needed. But they really had to hunt down everything that they wanted for that wish list. And um 
and we're I think as a band we're very lucky that it that they that it came out as good as it did because yeah. I think it's fucking awesome. No, we gave them a lot of opportunities to just be like, "Fuck this! This is this is you guys are making this so hard on us. We can't see this yeah. through." And they didn't. They just they fought and they fought. And yeah, it took some time, but they did it. They really fucking did it with very little sort of enthusiasm from our end. <laughs> I can't really speak for Dahlbeck. He's a lot closer to Dan than any of us, and I like to think that he was maybe more helpful than certainly I was. But yeah. The end result is, is pretty great. Yeah. Yeah. And, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I, uh, yeah, to agree with what Zach was saying, that there is this sort of like, it was, it is a good film. I do enjoy it. I'm happy that it's released for the band. But it's also, there's this nice sort of selfish thing where it does make, you know, on a personal level, feel close to the band. I, I remember calling Bedard after I watched it. He hadn't seen it yet. And I was like, yeah, it, it feels like you're in the van. It feels like you're giving a big hug to all your friends. And at that time, when that we hadn't seen each other, all been in the same room maybe but one time in four years. Yeah. So it was like in this selfish way, it was just like having this giant photo album, a moving mm-hmm. photo album of everything, of all these great experiences that kind of sometimes you forgot. Like, oh, we went there, we did that, and just so nice to be able to have it in this consolidated thing. I remember after watching the doc for like a next few days, like listening to. Bane records constantly. That's not something I do. I don't put on Bane records. And I was like, I just felt really close to everyone. And it was just such a nice package to be able to sit down and watch. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and I'm not, I'm not even in the band and I did the same thing. (laughs) I just had, I did Bane records just like playing all the time because it just like reignited something that again, I could relate to. And I hope other people, uh, can relate on some level as well, and you know um, I'm gonna I'm gonna take this moment before we move into kind of a different direction. I want to take one more moment related to the documentary. Holding these moments uh, comes out on October 13th, the day that this is gonna drop. So when you hear this, it's out iTunes, Amazon, all the places for digital, not Netflix and Hulu and stuff, but you know just you'll find it. You'll find it. Google it. That's what we all do. But, you know, I'm, uh, Bedard, if you'd do me the honor, you know, like, tell, take this moment real quick to pitch the movie. Tell people why they should see it. You know, I've already done so in the intro, but still, you know, like, if you had to say anything about the movie to get people to go, you know, what do you say? Uh, that's hard for me, man. That's very difficult in that it's awkward for me to sort of have to sell something that I'm involved in to other people. I just trust that if they want to see it, they're going to find it. If they care about the band, they're going to find it. Um, you're just picking the absolute wrong dude. Of the <laughs> you know, I, what's funny is, what's funny is I knew that so as true. soon as I said it because James and Zach both started cracking up. So let's, <laughs> let's, let's move to Zach. Is there anything that yeah. you could say? But Dora, tell us how cool you are. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, I, ju- I just think that it, uh, and I I hate like like Bajar saying like I don't want to sound like we're sucking our own dicks here you know it's like <laughs> it, it's so it's so cheesy and we're not that kind of band but I just ha- I just personally have to to say that I'm very proud of the doc and I had you know like I had I had nothing to do with it besides be in the band that it was made about you know um, and and I I watched it and I you know I looked at our friend my friend Justin and I was like 
you know, this is cool because like my mom can watch it, you know, like my mom can watch this or like my coworkers can watch this. Someone that doesn't know us can watch this and feel moved. I feel like it does a great job of just getting personal with all the members. You get to kind of know who we are, you know, our background, you, you know what this band is about. And I don't think you have to be a hardcore kid to watch this doc. Yeah. Um, it has it has the stage dives. It has plenty of live shows. It has everything that a hardcore kid's going to love. But I, I feel like just the, kind of the everyday person is going to love it as well. Um, and I and I think like well, I think everyone on this in this podcast right now is a pretty big movie buff. You know what I'm saying? And um, it just it feels like a good documentary. Like it feels like a good a good movie about a band absolutely um, and it and and there was nobody more worried about it being cheesy than us three right here you know <laughs> yeah we were we Straight were fucking up. we were fucking terrified that this was going to be a cheesy movie about our band and and it had taken four years to do what the fuck can we say we can't say this sucks don't put it out you know yeah and thank god thank you dan and thank you ricky that i don't have to do that you know yeah. I don't have to be. I don't have to be like. Eh, well, you can watch it if you want. Like, like I'm fucking proud of it, man. Yeah, and and, and, yeah. and as as a as a a movie lover that has seen plenty of documentaries, I was worried about the same thing for you because <laughs> I yeah. hadn't seen it yet. So it's like, I mean, is this just going to be a love letter, you know, to uh, yeah. Bane in some way? That's just like they're the greatest, and that you know they've survived. It's, and it's just so not that, that. It's vulnerable. That thank you. That was a fucking huge fear of mine. I did not want a bunch of people just sitting around talking about how my band was great and this and that and like you know like I just didn't want it to be cheesy like that. Um, I think anybody that gives it a chance it, it is going to be kind of pulled in within the first thirty seconds of the doc. It's not happy. I don't want people to think this is a happy doc. I don't think it is. Like you, you said you cried. I cried three times. I showed my my girlfriend. She cried a bunch of times too, you know. And um, and I and I don't I don't think it's just because I was in the band. I didn't cry. I didn't like get emotional because I missed certain thing, you know, certain things. I just I just think it's well done. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I I, I totally I totally agree. You know, and and I think part of what you're getting at and what I'm getting at is the vulnerability that's kind of exhibited in the movie. You know, it's not just you guys are so great. I mean, it shows those trials, but it also shows a lot of personal stuff. Even like the Team Skylar stuff, I could see on your face. That meant yeah, something man. to you in that moment. And and I, I'm sorry to bring this up, but, you know, like I really connected with you, James, whenever um, the stuff with your mom, again, like even four years later, like condolences to you, man. Like I see you and, you know, Thank I, you. you know, my mom got sick two years before my last show. And I all, all I wanted was her. She saw me in my early years. You know what I mean? And then I took like an eight-year hiatus. And when I joined a new band, all I wanted was my mom to be there. You know what I mean? And oh see. And so it's like she didn't get to. And I think it's so awesome that you guys have this. Like you were saying, Zach, like, you know, your family can see this. You know, future, you know, children, if that exists for some of you, you know, like, they can see that. I mean, this is really a document of more than just hardcore, more than just a band that toured 200 days out of the year. This is about life and loving something so much you can't let it go, but you feel like you have to. And so mm -hmm. uh, I encourage everyone to see this. Before we go, um, 
you know, I just want to, now that I've dug us into a hole so deep, you know, it's pitch black, but let's try to uh, bring it out a bit. You know, this is Medium Cool, a movie podcast. We're here to do movies, and you guys are here because of the doc, though I would love just for musicians to be on here all the time because I know too many. But, um, you know, I want to get into movies. I mean, you guys you guys talked about this up top, and, uh, you know, I, I guess since I was just talking to Zach, Zach, why don't you go ahead and start by telling me, you know, what are some of the... Like, what gets you going, man? Like, this is horror month. Are you into horror movies? If not, like, yeah, dude. what are you into? I have I have been in a fucking horror movie quarantine. It's been crazy, man. Um, <laughs> I, 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 like, like the, the, the people I the people I live with are like both all, all we want to watch is horror movies. I don't know why that has been the case, but when the quarantine started, I bought a projector and a giant movie screen because I knew that that was not going to be the movie theater was not going to be in my near future or I shouldn't even say that because I thought this was going to last for like three fucking weeks and then we'd be out of it but yeah. I just went out I went out and I bought a movie a movie screen and a projector and so every day here is like movie movie time for me and um yeah horror, horror movies have been huge on my list um of what I've been watching and it's it's hard, man, because eventually you run out of good horror movies, you know. Absolutely. Um, and, and and there's not really anything new coming out. Uh, there has been some cool, some stuff that I had thought has been cool. Um, there's that movie, The Rental. I don't know if you've seen that. Um, there's a movie called The Rental. There's a new one out that's called Alone. That's a horror movie. Um, it, both of those I thought were pretty good. I know it's it's hard for me because I I do rely on Rotten Tomatoes kind of reviews uh, to like lead me in the right direction, but I often find that they're just in my taste way off. You know, like there'll be <laughs> yeah. there'll be a there'll be a movie that the critics are going crazy for, and then I'll watch it and I'll be and I'll agree way more with the the audience, and then there'll be some movies that the audience is going crazy for, and the critics will, critics will hate it and give it like a seven percent. And then I'll watch and I'll be like, oh, this is sick. So I, I'll kind of go there. I'll kind of go there to lead me in, in the right direction. If, if both say like 10%, then maybe I will leave that movie for last. But um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I'm a horror movie guy. I don't know. I love movies like The Big Lebowski and um, I don't know. But I love Shawshank Redemption, Stand By Me, movies like that too. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. I, can, I mean, I can get down and talk about everything. I, I'm, I'm like, I'm like, a, I, I love like, I love like fucking Police Academy and shit too, though. So yeah, it's like <laughs> love what you love, I, man. I, yeah. <laughs> Bedard, what about you, man? You said you were into movies. What do you like? What are the yeah. go-to's for you, man? Oh God, a lot. Uh, I like a lot of foreign stuff. I like a lot of the John Woo action stuff and Takeshi Mike and. Some of the Japanese Yakuza stuff is some of my favorite stuff. John Luke Goddard, the French yep. New Wave guy, I love him and Truffaut. Those are really huge. Do you have movies. a Do you have a favorite uh, Goddard or Truffaut uh, movie? Yeah, I guess it's just I think Breathless has got to be my favorite, and I think Ooh. Shoot the Piano Player is pro- actually man Night and Day, the movie within a movie that Truffaut made might actually be my favorite. I caught that this year and it blew me away. Yeah, and I'll say this real quick with them. It's funny you mentioned those two specifically. 
when I first got into movies, uh, my gateway movie was Amelie from 2001, this like little fringe, yeah. just beauty, you know? Yeah. But in, in that is Jules and Jim. There's like a clip from that Truffaut movie. And then um, when Netflix first came out, I used them and I just started, uh, my buddies like, if you like Amelie, watch French New Wave stuff. And I started with Godard and Truffaut. Like when I first got into studying film, those were my two guys. So that's. Did you name? Did you name the podcast after the movie, after the, the medium film? Cool medium Cool Movie? Film? Yeah, yeah uh, for two well, reasons. That leans so heavily on the French New Wave. It's so inspired by... Absolutely. And, you know, uh, I did it for two reasons. One, uh, because of the Hexel-Wexler uh, Hexel movie. The other is because it wasn't taken. So <laughs> uh, you'd be surprised at fucking how hard it yeah. is to find a name that no one else is using. But I've always loved that name. Um, and yeah, uh, for anyone who doesn't know medium cool, 1969, you know, you can watch that movie. It's pretty cool anyways. So, um, uh, but yeah, keep going, man. Well, yeah, I mean, and then I, you know, I like some of the mainstream stuff, big Lebowski, all of the Coen brothers stuff, the Tarantino stuff. I'm a huge Wes Anderson fan. And then I just have like weird little pocket sort of favorite movies that a lot of people don't really fuck with. The first that jumps to mind is nil by mouth. I don't know if you've ever seen that directed by Gary Oldman that's a favorite i tend to lean really dark if it's dark and sort of hopeless and it's going to rip your heart in half that's what i tend to gravitate towards and and, and what's wrong with us because i love bummer if a movie will take me to bummerville <laughs> dude i am fucking in like if you've ever seen lars von trier's dancer in the dark that movie yeah. is a fucking yeah. bummer, un- and it ends yeah. with your guts just like that's too twisted. That's too sad for me. <laughs> no, nah, man, that's where that's where I want to be. That's where that's where I want to be. That's, that's where I want to be. That I could watch that I watched once was like that was sick. I'm never watching that again. It's just, terms of endearment for me is the go-to <laughs> for like somehow that connects with me on a very personal level, and I can watch terms of endearment over and over even though I can find it to be utterly heartbreaking, and I cry every single time. So, so the, yeah, the Dance funny... Dancer in the Dark I have on DVD, and I've <laughs> never watched it. I like Bart because it's like York, and it's a great movie, but I watched it one time in the theater, and that was it. It was just like, Wow. I, I, I watched that movie, got completely destroyed by it, <laughs> and, then, and then bought it, brought it to my mom's house, and had to completely destroy her. Like I, oh my I was, I was like, I was like, mom, do you want, do you want to watch an amazing movie? But you're going to lose your shit. You're going to cry like crazy and you're just going to, and, and, and it worked. It totally worked. I did the same thing with the profession with Leon. Like I did that mm. same thing. Like, like I brought that to my mom and I was like, this is going to be violent and it's, you know, like it's going to get crazy, but it's totally not her kind of movie, but I was like, it's good. It's an amazing movie and you're going to love it. Yeah. Oldman's but, so good in that too. Um, yeah. Uh, what, 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 what we need to do is because Bedard loves this so much is do a whole podcast on the Rover. I don't know if you like that movie or not. I think the Rover's awesome. It. Yeah. Yeah. The Australian yeah. one with Guy Pierce. Yeah. Yeah. It's I don't know great. If I've seen a better movie since. I don't know if I've seen a better movie since. I've seen it. I love so it. good. Dude, I'll tell you what though. And, and, Though I think you were just saying, and I'm being serious, I will watch that shit again, and we'll get together and we'll talk about the rover if you want to talk about the rover. Because yeah, I'm all about having Bane on to talk about movies. Okay, <laughs> I'm already loving this so much. We can uh, go. When it comes to movies, we can go on for a long time, <laughs> dude. Absolutely, James. What are, What are some of your What are some of your go tos, horror or not? Just like, what are some things you love? 
I I'm not a horror guy, but but I am Whatever. a crime guy. So if it's a if it's a horror movie that I feel like is more of a crime movie, like The Exorcist or something, like Rosemary's Baby, like these sort of like I can fuck with that a little bit. I like The Shining. Um, I don't I don't get down with almost anything sci-fi. So if I feel like it's leaning that way, it's, I'm probably gonna miss it. But but yeah, I like some of the French stuff too. I love crime stuff and a lot of the cool American crime stuff. These last like two years, I've been totally balls deep in records that I haven't anything new hasn't really been on my radar. I'll, I'll watch something new if one of these guys or another friend that I really trust is like is cramming something down my throat. Like you got to see it. You got to see it. Once the third friend is like, you got to see this fucking movie. I'll, I'll watch the movie. But lately, it's been a lot of docs, a lot of band stuff. I feel like when I'm watching music related stuff, I feel like I'm kind of working and being productive. I guess. So especially during quarantine when I felt like I kind of help, kind of helpless, like I wanted to do something good for the store, but couldn't. I was like, oh, I'll just like watch a shit ton of band stuff. And that way at least I'm learning. Yeah. So I've been into those recently, but yeah, my go-to for sure is crime stuff. I like French stuff and Japanese stuff for sure. Like, um, I think I would, my go-to is always saying that Pale Flower is my favorite movie. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah I think that's. If I got to pick something, I think that's it. I think it's like, I like cool. I like beautiful. I like dudes in nice suits and cool sunglasses. And I like, <laughs> I like, I like pretty girls. I like dudes doing, doing bad stuff. I like kids yeah. doing bad stuff, like 400 blows. I like like young kids breaking the rules, getting their knees dirty, hopping fences, shit like that. Nice. You know, I'm going to recommend two movies to you. You can look into them and choose whether cool. you want, both of which um, one's uh, South Korean. And do okay. you remember what the other one was? Oh, they're both South Korean. One is called cool. The Chaser. Okay, this yeah, is a great cri- this is a, yeah, cri- no great movie. And that's even kind- you would like that, Zach, because it's a serial killer movie. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, okay. Kind of What's it called? The, ch- the, the Chaser. The Chaser. I can send it to you. I, I can email it to you. It's so uh, good. Yeah, it's 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 the it's like it's like some South Korean director wanted to make a really kick-ass like American style serial killer movie except for it's so far beyond what america typically puts out because they're like crazy over there and it's amazing um but it's really dark and very violent um so getting kind of on almost that horror side of it there are very horrific moments um but it's really great another one is uh is um bong joon ho's uh memories of murder which is another yeah yeah, really fantastic Uh, i love that uh, Bedard and I are really connecting. We're becoming lifelong <laughs> friends right now over this. <laughs> um, I'll watch both those movies. Those are two of the best. Yeah, I mean, they're... they're say so. I'll watch those movies for sure. Yeah, Zach, even though you haven't seen them, just say so. So he'll watch them. That's three friends. Yeah, man. Uh, <laughs> dude, you've got to see those movies, man. And then, and then the we... And then Did we, you like the wailing? Did you love the wailing, or was that too much for you? For me? Awesome. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I like The Wailing. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's another South Korean fucked up horror movie. That scene where they're in the courtyard, and uh, I'm trying to remember exactly what was happening. They were doing some ceremony, but someone gets, like, possessed or something. That scene is, like, a wild moment. Uh, I'm trying to remember. It's been a while since I've seen it. but It's insane because it's a five-minute-long outdoor seance where people are banging on drums and people are screaming. And it goes on and on. You feel like, I can't believe how fucking crazy this is. And then later in the movie, they do it again. They literally have the same ceremony. And, it goes on, and it's the craziest thing. It's so loud. It's like violent how intense the sound is. 
couldn't believe that he he did it a second time. He's like, no, we're going to do that. <laughs> that is like, that movie is demonic. It's evil, but it's also kind of funny the way that South Korean movies tend to can just like be funny. They don't yep. take themselves seriously. But those Man. are three of my absolute favorites that you just. Oh, I'm good. I'm super good at this. So, <laughs> what, about, <laughs> what about this one that I watched this year? A bittersweet life. I have it's not. Like I know pure, exactly what you're talking about, but I have not seen that. Nope. That's like that's like Melville in South Korea. Just a straight up oh. somber gangster movie. It's awesome. That's the best movie I saw in 2020 for sure. Wow. Yeah. I'm. I'm actually. You know, one you of the it. big things that I loved about starting this podcast and joining up with the Film Yap is I used to write uh, like reviews for the film app for a bit about five years ago. And when I wanted to do this, I ended up like reaching out to them. And my biggest thing is uh, I've been so behind because I moved to Lafayette and started my job here and I had my whole, my whole life going and I had graduated from grad school and I was out of like film and all of that. So for the past two years, I am so behind. Uh, with everything, and so what I'm so excited about with this is I'm going to be able to jump in. I'm going to be able to get these yeah, screeners. I'm yeah. going to be able to, you know, bust all this out. So yeah, I'll I'll have to keep that um, in mind. I'm familiar with the movie, but yeah, have not seen it. Um, before before we close up for this for this uh, episode or whatever, um, why don't each of you give me a movie recommendation and maybe name if you know filmmakers, maybe name one that you're into. Uh, that you would recommend people listening check out their work. You want to start, Bedard? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the movie I would recommend to you is one that I watched last week that absolutely blew me away. A Taiwan, a Taiwanese movie called Goodbye South Goodbye, and it's directed by the same dude who made Millennium Mambo. I don't remember his name, but that's been like uh, that's been the biggest surprise for me, and that it reminded me very much of sort of a lot of the style over substance. French New Wave, Tulane Blacktop type movies that are just a joy to fucking sit through. And then the director, let me try, he's a Russian dude, a modern day Russian guy who's just making the darkest fucking shit. I'm gonna, <laughs> his name is, uh, I'm going to butcher it, Andre Baginzev. D-V-Y-A-G. And then you'll get it from there. But he's making these modern movies that are kind of almost Goddard-esque in how beautiful they are to look at, but they're so dark, just very sort of subtle human stories, very much about Russia. I feel like they're actually quite a comment on Russia, and uh, they're my favorite. I mean, this guy is just fucking killing it, and I can't believe that more people aren't talking about him. One of the movies is called Loveless. Another one is called Leviathan. One ah. of them is called The Return. That guy. Yep. He's fucking something special for me right now. Yeah. Speaking of going back to South Korea, uh, before I move on, uh, I uh, Bedard, I want to give you a recommendation if you haven't seen it. It's Kim it. Kaduk, uh directed movie. Uh, I don't remember the year it came out, maybe 2003, South Korean. It's called, um, hold on. Oh, shit. Uh, spring, summer, fall, winter, and spring. Have you seen that? No, I've never even heard of that. Uh, if you like those kind of like very thoughtful human ideas, the movie is basically following this character who is on this, uh, on this um, what do you call it? Like It's like a Buddhist temple that's floating on a lake. And uh, he learns from, this, from this, uh, this Buddhist master, basically. And uh, he, throughout spring, he's like a little kid, maybe 
four years old, right? And then when it cuts to summer, he's grown up and he's a teenager, right? And then, you know, by by fall, he's like, he escaped and he left and now he's coming back and he's a different man. I mean, it really shows the progression of a human. Um, it's all about love and uh, grace and being true to oneself and humanity. I mean, it's if you like that sort of thing, which by the movies wow. you're talking about, I think is your jam. <laughs> check out Spring, Summer, Fall, Winter, and Spring, and I'll probably end up emailing that to you so you don't forget or something because uh, I definitely think you would be... Uh, really into that. Um, yeah. Let me uh, slide in one more recommendation, then I'll shut my trap. Just absolutely. He doesn't get enough plugs. <laughs> Abel, Ferrer, Abel Ferrer is the funeral. It's just a gangster movie with Vincent Gallo and Christopher Walken, Christopher Penn. Nobody seems to talk about it. It's in my top five all time. Just make the, the funeral. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. I, I I will. Uh, I don't think I've seen the funeral. I've seen a few of his movies, but. Um, especially, yeah, Bad Lieutenant's kind of like the big Ferreira movie. I feel like people yeah, still yeah. talk about. But um, yeah. all right, James, yeah. I'm gonna move to you, man. Do you have any recommendations or movie uh, like filmmakers or anything that you would recommend people check out? Yeah, I'm gonna go with what I watched recently, and you already you you guys already know it, but I just watched High and Low by Kurosawa. It was so sick. I loved it, and he. Like, it gets so overlooked, I guess it's because it's not a samurai movie or whatever, that I feel like it never comes up when you talk about him. And it was just awesome. It's just a cool noir fucking crime flick that looks beautiful. It's like I was saying earlier, it's just cool dudes doing cool shit. It's like, I loved the hell out of it. Yeah, Kurosawa was a huge fan of Hitchcock, and I get this Hitchcock vibe in it, where it's like all sure. in this apartment for the first two-thirds of the movie. You know what I mean? And then they yeah. finally leave, and it becomes like a procedural. And, uh, the like, dude, that movie... It, like so, Ikiru is awesome. Like I'm not gonna undermine that. I think the Bad Sleep Well is an awesome Kurosawa movie, but High and Low might be my favorite non samurai Kurosawa movie. That movie is incredible, cool. and I am like so blown away that you just mentioned that. I love that you just did that. Yeah, dude, hell yeah, great one. All right, uh, Zach, what do you got, man? Um, I th- I think I uh, I think I'm gonna I'm probably gonna go the horror route and say that. There's, there's that new movie called Alone that's out that I just talked about. Um, I actually don't even know who who directed it off the top of my head. Um, but yeah, it's just a, it's just a good it's just a good kind of a scary chase. You know, I'm I'm going through the woods kind of movie um, yeah. about a girl a girl that moves away and a, and a guy that follows her that's not supposed to be. Uh, it, it, I, it's, it's just, I like the movies that are just going to fuck with my brain for a little while after where I'm going to wake up the next day where I'm going to wake up the next day and be like, fuck, like, like now, now I got to be afraid to be driving down the street if nobody else is around. (laughs) That's my, that's my my kind of shit. So I think, I think it's, I think that's a, just because I don't think many people have seen it because it just came out. It's just in the theaters now, but I think that you can, it might be on it might be on Netflix or one of those kind of things. I don't know how I saw it. I did see it at home. I can't remember if I did something that I wasn't supposed to do to get it. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but I, I, uh, yeah, I, I think that's, I think that's a good movie. If people are into horror, um, the, the rental is another one that is on one of those platforms that I think is, uh, good. That's, that's kind of got like the strangers feel to it. Gotcha. Um, 
Is it a home invasion movie like that? Yep. Yeah. It's it's kind of it's kind of like that. Yep. Where, but it, it's got a weird. It's got this kind of weird subs like a side story to it where, where you get invested into these characters for doing different kinds of fucked up shit. Hmm. Um, so it's like one of those things where you're like, you know, those movies where you're like, yeah, yeah, that, like I never want this to happen to me, but I don't really mind that this is happening to them. Like it's that kind of, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, it's that kind of thing. And then, and then everyone needs to watch the Rover because I feel like that didn't get enough attention. And that movie's yeah. really amazing. It really, and the movie that he made before it, Animal Kingdom. Absolutely. Yeah. That yeah. I mean, yeah. honestly, I, yeah, I don't think that guy's made a bad movie. Uh, so the, uh, yeah. the ones I've seen and, and, and the Rover is, uh, I mean, I really, really like that. I need to go back and watch it. And I'm serious. I might contact Dude. you guys. If I watch that, we might have to do a, a partner review or something of this and, and just have a good need, talk about what we love. Go ahead, Zach. You, you need to watch that movie and, and say to yourself, how the fuck is this the same dude that's in every cheesy Twilight movie out there? Like, how is yeah. Robert Pattinson went from the cheesiest actor in the world to me to being like one of the most insane actors? And yeah. that movie, it, that movie is the movie that made me just change my mind about him because he's so he's so fucking good yeah. in it that uh, it, it's crazy. Have you guys have yeah, have any of you seen The Lighthouse? Yeah, yep. That's a, I, I that's a that. wild transformative thing for him as well. I think. Uh, yeah, yeah. He th- those two, him and who's the other guy in it? Um, uh, Willem Dafoe. Yep. Willem Dafoe. I mean, it's just basically those two in the entire movie, and. Yeah. They're fucking mad. I mean, they're madmen. Willem Dafoe is like the craziest guy, anyway. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, Robert Pattinson is is equally as nuts in that movie. Yeah, and I just love that the first thing that we see, uh, or the first like words or anything, it's just quiet for like the first five minutes, and then you see Robert Pattinson walk into a room, and you don't realize because there's this huge mast or something, and then you you just hear a fart. And then someone yeah. says something unintelligible, and then like Willem Dafoe walks out. You're like, oh, he was just taking a shit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like it's like such a weird, weird. But then it gets like super weird. Like the whole thing yeah, is you, just like really bizarre. You, ne- you you never know which way it's gonna go. Yeah. You know, like you, you don't you don't yeah you don't know if they're gonna get get off the lighthouse island thing or not or like what's gonna happen. Like yeah, it's it's, cool. it's definitely definitely wild but i appreciate you guys so much uh, for doing this again i would love to do this some more because i can tell that we can talk about movies for sure oh and God, I just... I just... <laughs> what you 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 and bedard could just have a weekly podcast about movies. It's like it's so like, true you, you guys you guys could seriously just talk podcasts every single or talk movies every single week and have it be a weekly podcast. And Bedard would be in heaven. Uh, Bedard, all you gotta do is email me your number, brother, and we're gonna work this out, man. <laughs> it, could be, it could be it could be like a book club, like where you, where you guys watch movies and just talk. No, no, I do this want is... to know what you enjoyed more last year. Did you enjoy Uncut Gems or The Irishman more? Which was your favorite? You, so because I'm so behind, I love Uncut Gems. I saw that. I have not been able to watch The Irishman yet. Are you serious? What I the have fuck to get in there. All right. <laughs> We're in a quarantine. You have no excuses not to be flushing three movies a week. <laughs> I'm I'm getting into it. I'm trying, man. I've I've already I've already met my quota for this week. I've seen I've seen my three and I love uh, Scorsese and I love how he can always transform. You are, up, dude. You are crazy. <laughs> you are Did you crazy like fun. it more? Did you like the Irishman more? 
Yeah, what'd you think, Bedard? I liked it very much. Sometimes I think I say. <laughs> I don't, don't say it. Don't say it. Don't say it. Don't uh, say like, it. Let's just say that I started on a Friday and then I rode my bike in the pouring rain to see it again on that morning. <laughs> and it's a fucking three and a half hour movie. Yeah. I, just, I can't wait to be back in the seat and watch you guys. So. What, what Bedard was going to say is that he thinks he may. <laughs> He thinks he may like it more than Goodfellas. That's what he was going to say. Crazy. And there were moments sitting through it where crazy. I had to ask myself, is this as good as Goodfellas? And Goodfellas to me is like top five, a literal perfect. I think it's, I think it's the movie of that decade. And what's crazy is it's, it was the first year of the decade. Yeah, 90. What, yeah. what do you, B-Dart, what, what are you liking better, um, Goodfellas or Heat? <laughs> Good fellas. Good fellas. Good fellas. Okay. Yeah. But don't get me wrong, man. Heat is five stars. I fucking adore that movie. Don't get me wrong. But just something about the ending where, you know, yeah, these I... moments of Heat that are a little far-fetched where Goodfellas just never fails you tonally. Not for a single second are you like, oh, this is a little cheesy or, oh, this is a little Hollywood. Right. Never. Not for a single fucking moment. You feel like you are hanging around in the back room with real gangsters the entire fucking movie. Think of how cool that is. He made it <laughs> like a documentary almost where you're just like in these rooms listening to conversations that you're not supposed to be welcome into. Yeah. He just nailed it so fucking hard. Yeah. And but, ha- but so, so a big comparison and sometimes this movie I'm about to mention gets shit on because it's so sure. similar to a lot of people though I would uh, press stark differences between them but do you have a preference between Goodfellas and Casino? Oh, Goodfellas, by far. Goodfellas. Okay. Casino just... Yeah. Be, I mean, Casino's... I've grown to appreciate Casino more and more as I've gotten older, actually. I saw Casino right when it came out. I couldn't have been more excited. I think my father and I walked in the snow to go see it. And it was good, but it just felt... It felt a little safe. Like, he had done this before. He just kind of took the br- blueprint that he knew had worked so well with Goodfellas. And just, you know, it's just a lot of the similar chops and voiceovers so the first time i started i was actually pretty disappointed but as i as i've grown older i've come to you know i do enjoy the movie the performances are amazing but yeah i mean i i totally agree i mean i think goodfellas is just one of those kind of perfect little uh capsule movie that can just never be I don't know if he'll ever top that. You know what I mean? I have to see The Irishman, though, because... You know. <laughs> I can't wait to hear your thoughts on it, honestly, because not only is it very similar, it's also very mature and very sad and somber and can only be made by a man at that age and by these actors who are you know, getting into the twilight years having to face their their morality and the things that they've done, you know, the criminal things that they've done in the places that it's led them and how they feel about it now. He really, really nailed it. There truly are moments where you're like, this might be the best Scorsese. This yeah. is just well, like... Well, I do have a friend uh, whom I disagree with a lot, and he's the guy that when he comes to visit me, we watch movies for like three days nonstop. We get everything no, I can exactly. get in. And he saw The Irishman. He said that's his favorite Scorsese. And I'm like, bullshit. You know, <laughs> that was a, I mean, I know it's going to be great, but driver, you know, it's so hard. He made fucking raging full. He made literally perfect movies. Yeah. Mean Streets is a perfect movie. So it's hard. Every so decade, hard every decade, he has one of the top movies of that decade. You know what I mean? Like when you see all of his movies, it's really impressive. 
Yeah, so Ravens. Eighty, right? Well, yep. maybe. I eighty. Think I just, was it eighty? No, it was eighty, and and ninety was Goodfellas, and seventy-six was Taxi Driver. I mean, that dude. Incredible. Just give me, give me a break. I mean, when I was in, uh, when I was studying film and media studies in undergrad, I would make movies. I was a part of like a a club on campus, and we would make short films and stuff. And there were two movies that were my biggest influences. One was The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. I love the way that he builds tension. <clears throat> excuse me, like he builds tension and all those things. And I could take those elements and use it on like a shoestring college student budget, you know, but the other one was uh taxi driver, because if you can write well, you can do a lot of voiceover work and get the footage. Whereas maybe your audio sounds like shit, <laughs> but you can do like that voiceover right. and like, you can get really beautiful shots because we had incredible cameras and stuff. Um, and so, you know, I don't know, that was a huge thing. So that's a very special movie to me as well. I don't even know what I would say my favorite Scorsese is. That's a whole nother episode that Bedard and I are probably going to have in the future. <laughs> so, um, so Bedard, Bedard, you're, you're, you're Irishman over Uncut Gems. Yeah, but it's yeah. tough, man, because Uncut Gems is really, really yeah. good. I got Dude. Uncut on that one. Just because you're not old yet, you fucking young guy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm uncut as well, but I, but I like the Irishman a lot. Did you only see, you only saw it once? You watched Irishman once, and you were like, no, yeah, that's yeah, that, yeah. I only did watch it once. That's true. I, and I saw, I saw Uncut Gems three times. I love wow. Uncut Gems. Don't get me wrong. Uncut Gems, dude. The Safdie brothers in general. I, 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 that's the only one I've seen. Talking about Robert Pattinson, he was in uh, well, Good Times before that by the did same you guys. See, did you see Good? No, did you no, see no. Good times? I, I want to though, because the first one I'd seen by them, I believe, and I could be wrong. I'd have to look at their filmography, but uh, was Uncut Gems, and I was very impressed with that. I, I mean, he they really took much like Paul Thomas Anderson did with Punch Drunk Love. They took Adam Sandler into a completely different place. Yeah. And what I love about Uncut Gems is like you're not supposed to like this guy uh but you also kind like by the end they make this unlikable person someone that you almost sympathize for in some weird fucked up way because it's like man i just want you to do the right thing you just had it worked out and then you fucked it up because you pawned his ring or like whatever whatever the thing is it's just it never it just seems to keep continuously getting worse and it's just an emotional and intense moment when i was watching i felt tense the entire time because I just felt like he was just, he just kept fucking up and I don't know how to help you. You know what I mean? Dude, I got a good times. Good times is that same kind of feel like, like you're, it's just, it's just tense the whole time. Go ahead, James. I got another recommendation then on that. And I can't remember the director's name, but it's a Japanese like Yakuza flick called street mobster. And it has the same type the same type of character as the uncut gems, the Sandler and uncut gems where it's like every time he gets the opportunity to fucking get it right, he just runs the other direction and the, yeah. and the film keeps giving him a chance. And it's like the coolest fucking thing to me. I love yeah, that. It's called stream officer. It was hard to find for a while, but it got reissued by one of those big companies. And now you can download it. Now you can find it. It's a seventies movie. Yeah. 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 That's I have cool. not seen that. So I will definitely look into that and find out more. Um, Honestly, guys. What's your favorite horror movie? Me? You're number one, yeah. Horror movie. The okay. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> my favorite filmmaker of all time. So, uh, you know, I'm working on a, a sleeving out with a collage. And just by, de- I mean, 
I just don't know if a more perfect horror movie can exist. I am, however, unlike Zach, I am that critic on Rotten Tomatoes. So, you know, I'm looking. Nah, that, that, that's cool, man. I yeah. think that's great. No, I'm just giving you a hard time. Um, but, you know, it's it's uh, just it. I mean, you know, then you have uh, the first one. Um, oh, yeah. uh, I, there's, a, there's a lot that I really, really love uh, about uh, those older horror. But probably be my favorite. I'm probably going to bleep this out, though, because we're in the middle of our top 15 favorite horror movies, and I just gave away, like, five of them, so um, <laughs> I'm probably... It's going to be funny when we listen back, because you're going to hear, like, pinch harmonics or something over that, just so, like, they aren't ruined. Um, but anyways, uh, guys, I'm going to I'm gonna go ahead and uh, cut this off now, but I, I'm sincere when I say uh, I would love to have either individually or a, a group of us back, especially even at the end of the year or something. If we've seen enough movies from this year, we can talk about our favorites. Anything. It's been an absolute pleasure. Everybody go check out Holding These Moments. It comes out. It's out today when this drops. And uh, please do yourself a favor. Check that out. Um, I want you guys to stand by. I'm going to go ahead and um, cut this. And, uh, yeah, thank you guys so much. You're welcome. Yeah, thank you, man. Thank you so much. It was fun. This is my final backwards plan.